People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trojan welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note, which I think is going to be slightly different we're going to hear some sounds of Tibetan monks chanting. We're going to hear some overtone singing. And we're going to learn all about the viola because my guest is the South African-born violist and overtone singer Gareth Lubber, who appears as soloist and chamber musician throughout Europe, America, Africa, and Asia. From 2007 until 2014, he was principal violist of the Gewandhaus Orchestra in Leipzig under Ricardo Chailly. And then in 2013, he was awarded the post of professor at the Folkwang University of the Arts in Essen, where he now has a studio of viola students from around the world. He's also a regular guest, artist, and educator at festivals around the world, including right here in South Africa at the Stellenbosch International Chamber Music Festival. And um, Gareth, welcome. It's been a long time since I've wanted to speak to you. I kept seeing your name <laughs> coming up at the Stellenbosch Festival. So finally we've captured you and got you in the studio. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. And I see you've brought your viola with you. So I hope we're going to get some playing, live playing in the course of the Well, program. you know, she's always on standby, so you never know. She might pop out at some stage. Has <laughs> she got a name? Um, no, but I'd, I'd definitely to re- refer to her in the female form because okay. that's the way I need to treat her. Okay, that's interesting. But we're going to come back to that. But just sure. before, let's just start. You, you, in this country now because of your association with Dennis Goldberg, and I'd like you to tell me how that came about and what it is all about. Sure. Well, um, almost uh, exactly ten years ago, I was uh, asked if I would be interested in taking part in this uh, wonderful project called the Quartet of Peace, um, which are the four instruments that were built by Brian Lysis the violin maker and um, each instrument is dedicated to one of the four Nobel Peace Prize winners of South Africa and uh, you know the cello is Mandela the two violins are Tutu and Lutuli and the violist is the Clark and um, so that <laughs> was you. yeah no for, for me it was a, a very symbolic because you know yeah. the Clark was the in-between figure um, and so is the viola you know and oh that's interesting yeah so now anyway that that project um the quartet of peace uh i took part in at the beginning i was the first uh, violist to play the viola and um i decided to put on a an event in the thomas church in leipzig where bach is buried and where i worked as well during my time of the um with the gavantas orchestra and um so we put on this big event and then uh, a wonderful couple lutz and brigitte hager they approached me and they said um we're good friends with Dennis Goldberg. We would like to introduce you to him. We're big fans of South Africa. And in my um, typical uh, ignorance, uh, let's put it mildly, um, I back then wasn't quite aware or I couldn't remember who Dennis Goldberg is, you know. Um, and I Googled and I was, oof, and I thought, wow, uh, how come I never knew about this guy, yeah, you know, or yeah, why yeah. didn't he ever, ever pop out for me? And um, so we met, long story short, and uh, he changed my life uh, regarding my dedication to my homeland, South Africa. 
um, and put a lot of things into perspective for me. And the major thing that I learned was, you know, I went, I left, uh, you know, South Africa. What in eight, I was eighteen, nineteen, just after school, and uh, I started uh, studying in Germany. And um, I always had this longing for for home, but I didn't really know what that was. And then I realized that, you know, this whole classical culture that I grew up with in back in the days in Joburg, you know, I started with the Suzuki Violin School and joined orchestras and did the whole thing. It was a European culture that I wasn't being educated on. And then when I found myself in Europe on a professional level, I realized that this European culture had built a bridge to Africa, you know. And um, that was in the past very much a one-way bridge, you know. And nowadays I find it so exciting because we have the opportunity to make that bridge both ways and uh, learn more about the culture of our surroundings and where we, um, you know, based ourselves. Did you past. did you leave South Africa for political reasons? Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. Okay. No, no, no. I, I uh, left South Africa for egoistic reasons okay. um, <laughs> because I wanted to become a great uh, uh, musician and soloist and I knew that Germany is the, uh, one of the very good options to go. There's many options around the world nowadays, but of course Germany was, you know, the roots um, yeah, that was me at the beginning, and then I kind of drifted away from trying to be a great violinist, and then I discovered the viola and other things like overtone singing, which uh, completely blew my mind. And then after all of that, and uh, you know, going really deep into the classical music world, I met Dennis Goldberg, and uh, he uh, reminded me of the importance of doing something about the big picture in our country, you know. Mm. You know, it was, it's, a, it's a group effort. It's a, a yeah, very much a group yeah. effort, and it's a cultural thing because if we want classical music uh, to survive uh, greatly in this country, we have to embrace all the other cultures which were kind of pushed off to the side. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we were against that, but um, we didn't uh, put it on the same level as European intellectual music, if you want to put it that way. Fair enough. Because African music has influenced European music for centuries. It's a fact, you know. And there's a lot of fundamental elements in our culture in South Africa or the different cultures of South Africa that uh, are a backbone to European culture. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a dialogue that needs to be embraced and uh, sought after. What I think I would like to do is you've completely intrigued me about overtone singing. So before we even get to the viola, I just want you to tell me what overtone singing is and maybe we can make our first music track, uh, in a sense, you performing some overtone singing. Sure. But, but you need to tell me what it is first. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, with overtone singing, it's a fascinating thing because when you hear it for the first time, it's not only the fact that one person sings many notes at the same time, it's actually a recognition of tones that we've always been aware of in the subconsciousness. So um, to understand what overtone singing is, we have to, uh, first of all, ask ourselves, what are overtones? Overtones are everywhere. Every, every, everything that makes sound consists of overtones, just like everything we see consists of the spectrum, right? We just don't, we, we need a medium to split that light to get those colors. And exactly the same principle is happening with the voice. So when I just simply, uh, I'll take as an example, for all your listeners out there, a little exercise for the ears, let's call it that. And the realization that it's not about producing overtones, it's actually about recognizing your own overtones. So I'm going to give you an example with the word wow, right? When I say wow, your brain recognizes the word wow and what it represents, right? And all its affiliations. 
And um, it's great. You can put it on its head. You get mom. You can say it backwards. You get wow again. Um, and uh, it's a nice overtone rich word. And I'm going to show you that now. I'm going to repeat the word wow a couple of times. And I'm going to slow it down. And uh, the, the, our friends here at the, the computer are not going to do anything with the computer because <laughs> I'm just going to give you a pure acoustic version of this. Okay. Here okay. we go. Okay. Wow. Wow. You know what I mean? I do now. Right. So now that's the first step in recognizing your overtones. You just basically every day sing a few notes, keep away from your friends and neighbors because you might lose some friends and neighbors. <laughs> but practice in a resonant space, take the bathroom or the kitchen, and just listen into your voice. Just dedicate a few minutes every day to your voice and try to recognize the difference between the vowels and the tones that they are producing. After you've become aware of that and you start using that um, to recognize overtones everywhere, then you can start using your tongue to form a much finer medium. So you basically imagine um, you had a very roughly cut stone before and now what we're going to do is we're going to carve out a perfect symmetrical prism, right? Or prism symmetrical? <laughs> Never mind, I'm anyway, intrigued. That's another thing. <laughs> Now, imagine we are now carving out a perfect prism, and that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to use my tongue, and I'm going to show you the overtones that come out of that. So instead of saying wow, my tongue is going to say wow inside my mouth, and I'm going to sing. So that's just coming out of one tone. The whistling tones you hear are pure resonance. It's the resonance from my fundamental tone. You're not cheating and whistling. I'm not cheating and whistling. It's got nothing to do with whistling. Because if I was whistling, uh, you would hear the wind. You would hear this, the air. Um, whereas this is purely from vibrations, right? And that's exactly what we're doing with instruments as well. You know, so we're causing vibrations and we we manipulating those vibrations um, and creating other overtones essentially. And then what what you can do, and this is like one of the higher levels of overtone singing, is you train your voice to you can change the fundamentals, um, so you can go through the the scale of all the notes. Because if I just sing the overtone row, it's a limited amount of tones but if I change the fundamental then the overtones change as well so that's why I can do melodies as well Mm-hmm. 
And I recognize in Corsi Sikaleli in there. Uh, absolutely. You're a very good listener. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth, <clears throat> I think we'll, we'll assume that that's our first piece of music, your overtone sure. singing. But I would like to know, where does this come from? Or what is the history of overtone mm. singing? Why did you become interested in it? So overtones um, and overtone singing exists in almost every ancient culture of the world. As, as a matter of fact, the awareness of overtones, um, you can find the roots in almost every single culture. And I came across this overtone singing because once upon a time, actually quite precisely in 1996, I came across a recording called Tuva from the Voices of Asia. And there's a whole lot of examples on that album. And I can play you the exact track which I came across. It's a very short one. And this was the recording that blew my mind and I had to know what the hell is that. And back in those days, there was uh, nothing on the internet where I could really find out how to do it. So I irritated my neighbors and lost some friends in the process. And after a couple of months, I could do the the basics of overtone singing. No one taught you. You taught no, yourself. I taught myself. And that's what I say to everyone. Of course, I can you know, give you a few tips on how to sing overtones. But the best teacher that you have is yourself, not only with overtone singing with almost everything in life and uh, but it's specifically with overtone singing so it's all about listening i would say about it's about 75% listening the whole process of learning so i got hooked on this region called tuva which is in the south of siberia just north of mongolia and um, there's a lot of people that sing this te technique um and it was always my dream to go there. And then many years later, I was invited by the Goethe Institute to perform there at a festival in the mountains. And I got to 
hear and experience so many different techniques from the region, uh, many different styles, throat singing, uh, overtone singing, um, kumai, uh, kagira, there's many uh, terms and names for different techniques. And um, then I started incorporating overtone singing in my own professional life, you know, using it in recitals and, you know, very often I, I sing some overtones after playing a concerto with an orchestra. I even during my Gavantas time uh, sang a couple of overtones uh, in big symphonies when the, the chord is so lush and, you know, I was sitting there in the middle with the viola. Um, I would just sing out the overtones really loud and nobody would notice I'm doing it because it, I blended into the chord completely. Gracious, and that's the joy of overtones. It's, yeah. You know, you're blending in completely. Anyway, in the process of all of this, I discovered that there's a culture of overtone singing in South Africa as well amongst the Kosa people. Um, and it's actually a dying uh, um, uh, breed of artists. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, there's this uh, specific region and people, um, they have this technique called umokolo kangi. And uh, Professor Dave Dargi from Fort Hare University, who's now retired in Germany, um, he's been promoting this for decades. And he was one of the first people to go into that small community and record the overtone singers. You can Google it. You can find it on YouTube. Um, if you just put in Dave Dargi and umokolo, ask your friends how to spell that. <laughs> and um, it's... Uh, really absolutely mind-blowing that I came to the realization, wait a minute, there's, there's this tradition in South Africa um, that I wasn't aware of, and uh, it's mind-boggling. That's what brought me to the, the even greater realization is that we should do our homework and find out where we really come from. You know, learn the culture, learn the language, and, and help to bring it on an intellectual level as well, just like so many other cultures in the world that have been, uh, you know, researched and I mean, we can really learn a lot from our doorstep. Okay, Gareth, I think let's have, um, I'm almost tempted to say a normal piece of music away from <laughs> Overton because the other what thing is I normal? want to, well, exactly. Yeah. I still want you to show us your viola, demonstrate your viola, and I still want to hear about the, I called it the Tibetan monk sound, but you've got another yeah. name for that. Yeah. But what, you said that this piece we're going to listen to was written for you, Feinbos. Yes. Tell me about this. Well, uh, a very prominent German composer, his name is Bernd Franke. Um, he's one of the resident composers for Edition Peters and a professor at the University of Leipzig. And um, I was asked uh, by a great uh, ensemble in Sweden called Omodernt, um, led by Hugo Ticciati, the violinist. I was asked who would be the composer I would recommend to write a piece for my voice in orchestra. So I immediately thought of Bernd Franke because during my Gewandhaus time, he uh, wrote a violin concerto, uh, which was premiered by the Gewandhaus Orchestra and its concertmaster, Sebastian Breuniger. And this piece was completely based on the whole thing behind overtones, you know, the whole harmonic spectrum. And I said, that is definitely the guy. So he went on to write a piece dedicated to me and the people of South Africa because he's so amazed with the landscape of Feinbos. So he entitled the piece uh, Feinbos, and he was also very touched by the words behind the click song, you know, being the, with the dung beetle, the diviner of the road. And, and um, it's a wonderful piece, uh, 12 minutes long, um, and it's uh, published for Edition Peters for Overtone Singer and String Orchestra. Uh, very powerful, very powerful piece. And um, it's uh, you can see it on YouTube, but I'll give you a little clip from this, you know. So let's, let's, I'll just give you a section of, let's say, three or four minutes. Um, so you can get an idea. 
Now, that was a piece called Feinbos, written by Bernd Franke, and it was performed, it was played for the first time. The premiere was in Stockholm in what year, Gareth? 2016. 2016. Yeah. My guest is Gareth Lubber, who is giving us a slightly different kind of people of note feel with overtone singing and all these strange things. Well, I say strange complimentarily, and as you know, People of Note is brought to you each week this time by Peter Turin Productions, and we haven't talked about the viola properly yet, and you spoke about it being sort of the middle voice, and it is, I think, a remarkable instrument, and in some cases, people don't take it seriously enough. We know of all those viola jokes, but it is a unique instrument being between the cello and violin. What made you want to take up the viola? Well, I, I was, you know, um, striving um, a lot of my life in my youth to become a, a pianist and a violinist. Both instruments were kind of equal for me. And um, then I went over to Germany. Um, I thought a little bit uh, logically that I better go over as a violinist, you know, so I can support myself better. And uh, But I was never passionate about that. I was more passionate about the piano. And uh, the result was that I did everything but study the violin properly, you know. So I just made it through my violin studies. And at the end of my violin studies, I went a lot, very deep into contemporary music and uh, a lot of experimentation and discovered the overtone singing. And um, then I discovered the viola quite late. I don't know why I didn't try it earlier. But all of a sudden, through the viola, my whole world that I had uh, discovered before that, musically and uh, personally and uh, philosophically, all came together through the viola because I had a medium to bring all those worlds together because, you know, with voice, my voice is very similar to the viola. It's the same, you know, the, the same register. And it's much more chilled in the orchestra. You know, you're not this diva on the violin playing all the decorative stuff. You're not, you're not the decorations on the Christmas tree. You are the tree. You know, ah, yes. and I felt like I was literally, I mean, physically, I, I, I was in the middle of the whole orchestra, like right under the conductor's nose. Um, acoustically, I joined the horns and uh, trombones. I had the uh, ability to manipulate the harmonies if I wanted to, um, you know, if you take a motor or Haydn uh, or something like that. You've got the power to change it from major to minor or, or the other way around, you know. <laughs> yeah, I used to mess around in the gig orchestras a lot like it. But uh, let me but just say that just to uh, illustrate this point, um, I remember hearing the Beethoven symphonies played by the Berlin Philharmonic and Simon Rattle. Yes. And one of the things he did was bring out the violas in all the symphonies, not dramatically, but for example, in the Sixth Symphony, the Pastoral Symphony, I heard passages and sounds and harmonies that I hadn't heard before, yes. simply because he was 
getting the middle voices to come out. And you could see by his body language that he was doing that. Absolutely. And there's beautiful music that Beethoven yeah. wrote. And it enriches the sound, doesn't yeah. it, when you do bring out that middle voice? I must say, specifically regarding that recording, it's, it's, it's really the tr- that transparency comes out uh, throughout Beethoven and many other composers if you really respect the dynamics and the, the instructions given by the composer. And this is especially evident in German music, the German composers with Brahms, Beethoven, you know, if you really respect those dynamics and the instructions that the composer has written, it's it's just phenomenal what comes but out. But Gareth, you also am I right in saying that you played on a on a famous cycle with the Leipzig Gewandhaus, didn't you? Yes, with the, the Beethoven Shai. recordings with Shahi. Yeah. Yes, and that I didn't record all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, record all of them because as a principal player, we would we would share um, the duty. But uh, yeah, several symphonies are played, and uh, specifically one thing that comes out for me is on the Beethoven album is the Prometheus Overture Beethoven um, just first of all because Prometheus uh, in in the old Greek mythology I, I, I like the dude he, you know he's 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 the one that brought fire to the mortals uh, stole it from Zeus and um, it's, it's just a wonderful story I, I love that story you know how you know somebody wanted to um, mute us and say no we shouldn't have all the power and then he rebelled and said, no, I like the humans. I'm going to go give them uh, some fire. Uh, I like that story. There's something about it. <laughs> but yet this overture is one of the shortest Beethoven wrote and one of the kind of most joyful, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Shall no, we listen to that? Oh, is please. It, is this your recording with the Gewandhaus Orchestra? Yeah, no, I did that recording. and I would be delighted if you pull it out of your pocket.
Beethoven Year, that's the overture Prometheus by Beethoven, played by the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra, conducted by Ricardo Schaie, and sitting as principal viola is my guest, Gareth Liver, who's my guest on People of Note this week, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions, and I want to talk, Gareth, about the viola, and you've got it right in your hand there, and whenever I see it close up, I'm always struck by the fact that it is, in fact, considerably bigger than a violin, isn't it? Yeah, this one definitely... So my viola is uh, a reasonably big one, 44.6 inches of the body, which is uh, considered big for a viola. Um, and so there's a very big difference from the squeaky violin. <laughs> I mean, the violin doesn't have to be squeaky. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. You're not but being very polite about no, violins today. Yeah. No, but they always make jokes about <laughs> us, so I'm not allowed to call them the squeaky. You know. Maybe we'll have a viola joke later. But let's Absolutely. First of all, I'm um, always up for that. just show me, if you don't mind, the lowest sound a viola can make. And sure, what note is that? That's my favorite string, the C string. Um, the violin has also got four strings, just like the viola. It's just the viola is tuned down a fifth. Okay. Yeah? Okay. Um, so essentially, if you want to compare the string instruments to the voices, uh, the violins are sopranos, the violas are altos, the cellos are tenors, and the double basses are basses. Yes. So, yeah, no, that's basically, and I just consider, you know, this, the viola to be a wonderful, the alto range is just such a wonderful range. You've got, as I said, the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And um, is it comfortable to play uh, because it's significant, because um, the fingering and all that? I mean, I don't think you can easily swap between violin and viola. Can oh, you can. Uh, you can, no problem. I've got a very good friend, Yura Lee, who's a fantastic violinist and violist. She's now a professor of viola in Los Angeles, and before that she was main professor of violin in Dresden mm -hmm. um, amazing character incredible musician and um, uh, it's no problem if you work on it and you keep yourself fit uh, I do plan on playing more violin in the future as well just to balance things out and tell me about your instrument is it a special instrument uh, it is a very special the instrument lady, for me but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a modern instrument built 2003 in Wuppertal the Wuppertal in Germany not in South Africa Oh, right. Um, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's a wonderful instrument, and it's uh, accompanied me for uh, many years now, uh, since 2005, as a matter of fact. But now, yeah. I think, well, 
you did say that you'd play something for us so that we don't have to play another record. Sure. CD. So what are you going to play? I thought I will play something now. I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't practiced much whilst I've been in South <laughs> no Africa. No excuses. No excuses. <laughs> no, but I thought I will uh, play a bit of Bach because, you Excellent. know, of my affiliation to Leipzig and uh, working in the space where Bach worked for 30 years, um, playing the St. Matthew Passion in the space where it was given its world premiere. And uh, where deep down in a cupboard, um, dusty old cupboard once upon a time a composer named Felix Mendelssohn Bartholdi discovered these uh, manuscripts from his predecessor because Mendelssohn was also in the Thomas Church for a long time as was Rieger and other important composers Mendelssohn discovered this, these manuscripts uh, which uh, turned out to look like uh, you know exercises for uh, for the viol or the gamba if you want to put it that way or the cello or the viola you know it's so so murky out there as as far as these instruments are concerned and um so mendelssohn discovered uh these manuscripts and, and that turned out to be the bach suites that are so yeah. famous you know which your your ma played in kirstenbosch the other day um you know one of the most loved pieces for cellists but the great thing is and as i said violists have the best of both worlds because we can play all the sonatas and partitas for violin but we can also play all the cello suites and we can play all the gamba suites uh, we can play a lot from Bach you know and so I always return to Bach and um, I really feel um, close to my affiliation of having the honor to be in that environment for almost 10 years so are we going to now hear one of the movements from a cello suite played on the viola so the yeah the first prelude uh, from the first suite how about that okay all right pleasure Go for it. Prelude 
to the cello suite in G by Bach, played there on the viola by my guest on People of Note this week, Gareth Lubber. And as far as I'm concerned, Gareth, that's perfectly fine. I think the violin would thin it out too much, but the viola still has that richness that the actual piece asked for, didn't it? Absolutely, and also on the violin you would have to play it in the wrong key. It's true, I suppose. Um, let's not go there. No, let's not go there. Peter Doreen Production sponsors our show, People of Note, here on Fine Music Radio. And in the short time that we've got left, I've got a million things to ask you. For example, you did demonstrate some overtone singing just now, but one of the other things you do, well, I kept calling it Tibetan monk chant sound. Is that a similar discipline for the um, – or can you demonstrate that for us just sure. briefly? Well, basically, it's all about relaxation. Uh, even though it doesn't sound like it, but um, uh, what the monks are essentially doing is relaxing their voices and their minds, you know, relaxing body and mind together to achieve this very low sound. So instead of me trying to sing low, all I do is relax my voice and let it break down into one to two octaves lower. So, example. Ah, 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 Almost sounds like a didgeridoo. <laughs> but you also did what you taught us earlier with your tongue to create almost that whistle sound in the midst of that very low bass sound. Exactly. What I did right now at the end was um, combine the two techniques. Well, you see, I don't know what to say anymore. So let's move on, <laughs> Gareth. There's a strange thing I saw here that you're very much at home in the world of improvisation and that one of the highlights, listen up to this, of your annual rotation around the sun is performing on the compost organ as a member of the Agricultural Symphony at the Stolzenfestspieler by Reut. Jawohl. Uh, I must point out here, it's not by Reut where the Wagner Festival is, but it's, uh, there's a town close by called Reut. And um, that's the main town in the area. And this village, Stelzen, is by right. And it's been called that for 29 years. And I've been involved in the festival for the, for the past good 10 to 12 years almost now. And uh, it's quite crazy. We, we start the festival off on the Friday evening with the Agricultural Symphony, which is a, a, a celebration um, of recognizing the farmer people and their community and bringing it into our world of music. And so we've converted uh, a, a massive compost machine, you know, these uh, what the tractors pull over the fields, a big tank filled with poo, um, and many pipes coming out of that tank, and it sprays the manure on the field. And, uh, well, basically what we did, we cleaned up one of these machines, and uh, we converted it into a church organ. We got funding, and uh, the idea came to life, and now we have this massive compost organ um, <laughs> hanging above the, 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 the stage in a barn which was built for the festival. It's the biggest round wood barn in Germany. Um, and we've got an audience of over 10,000 people that come over the weekend um, with a lot of different cultural highlights. The opening is just this crazy um, you know, uh, agricultural symphony thing. But over the weekend, we have um, um, many soloists and ensembles from around the world coming, including musicians from the Gavantas Orchestra, 
there's a big uh, s- a center for disabled people in the area and uh, those people take part in a production every second year and do their own production for the Saturday evening. There's a big party and bands playing on the Saturday evening. The Sunday evening is the big orchestra finale concerts where Gewandhaus musicians come. And um, the fascinating thing is that the Bach field starts then at the end of the festival and all the works of Bach are played from beginning to end. Um, uh, in a field and people come camp out to listen to the works of Bach played on a recording over the fields and it takes exactly seven days, 24 hours a day to go through the whole of the Bach repertoire from the very, very first work that he ever wrote to the very last pin from Art of the Fugue. And um, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's definitely something to to look out for. Um, (laughs) The audience comes like a Woodstock audience and camp out and uh, caravans and, you know, it's a, yeah, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful. What a life you have, Gareth. It sounds completely from the sort of, may I say, sophistication of sitting as concert master when you were at the Gavantos to playing a compost organ and overtone singing and anyway, and on top of all of that, the viola. Do you have CDs released? Can people buy stuff that you've done? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, uh, this year I'm working on a, a solo project where I'm uh, recording uh, the great Hindemith solo sonata, Opus 25, number one, um, and Ligeti solo sonata, Georgi Ligeti, the, the Hungarian composer, and I will be uh, weaving overtone singing throughout the CD between the works. Um, the Ligeti sonata specifically is... Um, a uh, very special work, um, which is, the first movement is based on overtones. So yeah, that's a project I'm looking forward to. A project that I can look back to, definitely one highlight, is my collaboration with the the jazz pianist Simon Nabatov. He's a, a big name in the European jazz scene um, and done a lot of wonderful productions. And we put our heads together and our uh, creative forces and uh, we produced the album called Lubatov which is the play of our two names um, uh, yeah you can find it on Spotify and YouTube and stuff but maybe I can give you a little example of please that. do okay. please do so this is basically I mean the whole CD is, is uh, you know our own works uh, compositions and improvisations and this clip that I'm going to show you is just a little taste thereof I wouldn't recommend to listen to the whole album whilst you're driving because it, it's, uh, it could cause problems. <laughs> okay. But while we listen to that, Gareth, may I thank you very much for an unusual interview with these sounds that you've been creating and with the viola. Um, and um, all strength to your arm in your fascinating life. Thank you so much. And the uh, same to you because you've also got a fascinating life. And I've, I'm very jealous that you're in Cape Town and I'm up there in Germany. <laughs> well, that's my favorite country. So how about that? Okay, let's talk about swapping places. Okay, Gareth Lubber, thank you very much. Thank you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. (laughs) 